Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. It's always great to be reminded that Sam Cooke is just absolutely amazing. <laughs> I, like, if, if this movie were literally just nothing but Sam Cooke, just, like, hanging out, eating a hot dog, and occasionally, like, half, like, kind of, you know, like, absently singing snips of his songs, I'd be <laughs> all over it. That would be fine with me. Um, we also have Bill Graham. He is the greatest. Yeah, I was about to say, like, you know, Muhammad Ali I, I dancing didn't wanna, around. I didn't wanna, yeah, I didn't want to say I am the greatest because that feels a little cheap. So I just said he is the greatest referring to Muhammad Ali. Oh, I thought you meant Sam Cooke. No. You can't, you can't have two are the that are the greatest. That, that seems... Uh, yeah, you're kind of like negating the meaning of greatest at that point. If I had to choose one, though, I would say Sam Cooke. <laughs> wow. Okay. wow. Yeah, I'm not a sports person. Hey. You know this about me. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't think uh, Cassius Clay, uh, well, Muhammad Ali, uh, would feel super great about that. Yeah, he don't, don't fucking call him that. You. <laughs> if I just, if he said, I am the greatest, and I was like, no, Sam Cooke is the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just I don't think that me. would go. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't think that would go well. We also have a special guest with us today to help us talk about One Night in Miami. And that is Jose Solis. Did I get that? I don't, right? I, don't, I don't even I don't even think I can have like any Sam Cook opinions right now cuz like all I'm thinking about right now is party in the city where the head is on <laughs> all night on a beach the break it's on. Welcome to <laughs> Miami. <laughs> Um, so thank you for putting that in my brain. In. I'm still working in. <laughs> I had just, I had right. just said for anyone confused. Cut and print. <laughs> before we started, <laughs> I said it took me all my willpower not to use Will Smith's "Welcome to Miami," and I apologize for just throwing that earworm into people. You just broke Jose right before That's we started. One of the reasons I <laughs> chose not to do it is because, like, broken. if I open with this, it will be the only thing that we talk about. <laughs> just be the whole song for some reason. We never do the whole song ever. <laughs> and I just like keep clicking replay on YouTube just yeah. over and over and over again. It'll just be, be like, one of those single frame uh, podcasts. We'll just uh, every second we'll <laughs> dissect it. Examine every, you know what? Oh Don't boy. <laughs> just line by line. It's like song exploder and uh, punch up the jam, but us and worse. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Excellent. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our uh, audience? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Jose Solis. Uh, think of uh, have the most common name in Spanish, and also think about tequila if you like tequila a lot. Um, something very funny. This is like a necessary trivia about myself: is that my father's name is Carlos Solis. So when Desperate Housewives was on from 2004 to like 2000, I don't know, whenever it ended. Uh, 
people at his work would always be like, oh, you were so nutty that Sunday. And he would never have any idea what the fuck people were talking about. Um, He's just like, why are these people stalking me? Yeah, he had no idea. And now he's like, wait, I was married to Eva Longoria. And I'm like, you wish. Anyway, um, I'm a freelance uh, critic. I write mostly about theater and a podcast about theater. Uh, but I love movies so much that I'm glad to someone asked me to talk about movies at last. Excellent. <laughs> we are glad to have you here once again to talk about One Night in Miami. The uh, This is the feature debut of director Regina King, who has been amazing in so many things that I Fiction. can't even... I just what was fiction that feature yeah i think it's fiction feature debut I, i'm checking that right now i, I think she did a doc I, I okay I, i'm not gonna get into the questions of whether doc. or not i would count a documentary even if i was gonna say fiction feature debut but that's fine that's we can roll with that I, well i am um, she did a documentary it's called right. story of a village uh, and my, my name I, is brian Rowan, and i do not accept documentaries <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is, uh, with a screenplay by, uh, Kemp Powers who wrote the stage play one, <laughs> Michael, I'm going to blow your brain here. Oh, I know. Wrote the stage play one might in Miami, which has the ellipses after it. But he also, uh, co-wrote soul recently. Yes. I know. So, but we're, we've already talked about soul. We are still debating the ellipses. Um, sure. anyway, this movie as a stack cast. It's uh, deep, and we're going to talk about it so much. But before we do that, the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Email us, podcastthefilmstage.com. Give us a comment and a rating on iTunes if you are so uh, determined to do so. And, of course, you can give to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Show to gain access to our Slack channel and to get first crack at all of our various movie-related raffles over at the Film Stage. What else? Uh, we are brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Uh, every day, Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of, and there will always be something new to discover. Uh, there's been some big news about Mubi recently. Um, it's not there yet, but this February, Mubi will be releasing Dead Pigs. Did everyone hear about this? Are we all excited? Yeah, this is the Kathy Yan. Uh, yeah. It was their first film before Birds of Prey. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Premiered in 2018 at the Sundance Film Festival, and it was never released domestically. Hmm. So people are super excited for that. But if we look at stuff that's already on there, I saw today that Ghost in the Shell, not the Scarlett Johansson Ooh. one. The original 1995 anime is on yeah. Mubi right now. So great film! It's did Akira come out before or after that? Oh wow! Oh, that's I a question that I don't have the answer to. Someone look that up while I read the copy. I, here. I... <clears throat> In the year 2029, we're getting closer. The world has become interconnected by a vast electronic network that permeates every aspect of life. Major Matoko. Kasanagi, a cyborg police officer, is spearheading the investigation into a master hacker known only as the Puppet Master who robs humans of their memories. Influencing filmmakers from the Rakowskis to James Cameron, this cyberpunk classic is one of the defining animes of its generation. Striking visuals formed through unparalleled detail and flair bring to life this dystopian world that houses the film's action and vast philosophical scope. So that is on Mubi if you would like to check that out. Uh, do we have an answer about when Akira came out? 
Yeah, yeah, Kira was actually seven years earlier than Ghost in the Shell, oh. 1988. I was going to say 89. I should have just gone for it. I could have seemed really <laughs> close to being smart. Anyway, if you have any interest in those movies or anything else that's on the movie platform, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. So uh, this is when we usually do a quick update on how we're doing in a general sense uh, with the pandemic and the social unrest and the impending civil war. So how's everyone doing? Good, I assume. <laughs> I, uh, I I crushed about seven feature films or n- I shouldn't say feature films, seven movies in about two days. So that's impressive. Yeah. I, I, uh, why? <laughs> Uh, because the Online Film Critics Society were ha- having their nominations, ah. so their initial ballots for nominations. Uh, what was that? Yesterday? Oh, okay. uh, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta crush some, some movies. And what my strategy usually is at this kind of crunch time. So it's before the nominations are out, right? So my kind of general idea is I'm going to see some things that I've heard good things about, but aren't kind of the front runners. So I didn't watch Nomadland and I didn't watch a couple of these other films because I'm like, those are going to get the votes that they need to probably get nominated anyways. I don't need to help them. So I just figured I'd I'd go for some of the dark horses and stuff like that. So So you're going to vote third party and perhaps an unpopular front runner will get the vote because (laughs) these are only nominations, Ryan. (laughs) These are not the final ballots. So, (laughs) And Jose, how how have you been doing? How's how's life on your end? (laughs) I'm on my third bourbon tonight. So I'm great. Uh, (laughs) And what I was, kind of bourbon? But I, was, uh, I don't even know. Like to be honest, I forgot what it is. Like I had like two on top of my fridge, and I was like, I'll just grab this one because like I had to run to get um, to put clothes on because I thought I was going to be on camera. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but now I'm thinking. Wait, nominations were due yesterday. I'm not done with my ballot yet, so that means I'm super late. <laughs> <laughs> the Washington area film critics uh, circle has not yet done anything. I think we're doing it in February. That's awesome. Very jealous. <laughs> Very jealous. You, I have not been using my time wisely. I have not like been attempting to stretch things out. I'm just like, yeah, I'll just wait for the week and then do the crunch thing like I always do. <laughs> that, that, that's me. That's me every time. And and I've been looking at like the last few weeks and I'm like, you know, I could have been like way ahead of the game. I've definitely <laughs> had more time on my hands the last few weeks than like the last few years of my life. And I'm just like... Nope, I didn't do anything with that time. I only watched the movies to, to get caught up on well, on the well, podcast, and that's it. So Wafka usually tries to be the first people out of the gate. Like, we do it super early, like, usually, like, the first week of December. And this time, they're like, okay, well, we'll do it in February. And I'm like, great, great, wonderful. But I'm not getting any DVDs. I just keep getting emails, and they look exactly like the emails that I usually <laughs> ignore. And so I'm just constantly like, wait, do I have that screener? I don't know. Um, meanwhile, uh, Netflix will not stop sending me coffee table books. <laughs> I just threw out another one and um, I'm upset about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it another Aaron Sorkin book? No, it was like, no. Fu- it was, uh, it was Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get, that get that one. Okay. Do you want mine? <laughs> Actually, no, wait, it's already been recycled. I apologize. <laughs> 
I should have oh, asked. My. I just assume that everyone's getting this nonsense. Anyway, um, so that's that's our update, I guess. Uh, this is being recorded on Sunday. We'll probably be out Monday, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and then two days after that is the inauguration. And uh, I, I can tell you, I can t- I can just tell you, like in anticipation, yeah. I guess, of next week when we go through this whole how are you doing thing, uh, the the tension in the air inside the Beltway is palpable. <laughs> um. No one knows what's going to happen, and uh, everyone's kind of on edge, and we're all just hoping that everything goes fine. Uh, my mother brought my daughter back from Texas, so uh, Cora was back in the house, and she watched some of One Night in Miami with me, which was weird. Um, and she said that at the airport, because you know it's a it's a flight that is going to BWI, the DC area. They were doing like super extra security checks and like randomly pulling people out of lines to like check their baggage. And uh, so it's oh, intense, wow. guys. It's a, it's, it's a real deal. So anyway, if uh, society collapses, look forward to me uh, on the front lines telling you how it is next week. Great. Yes. Lovely. <laughs> I have, have a quick update. And I'm having Knob Creek. Bourbon, and I'm going to say now that if Ooh. this is the last episode of your show, I'm very honored then to be your last guest. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Knob Creek is a great bourbon. Um, I love it. Uh, second of all, if you like bourbon and live in the D.C. area, uh, watch this space because Schmidt Spirits will be making a bourbon that's going to be finished in a Reposado <laughs> barrel very soon. It's a plug for my distillery, Schmidt Spirits. Anyway, um, so that's that. Uh, just imagine the end of the world as like narrated by me. That sounds like a fun time, doesn't it? Uh, give to our Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com slash thefilmstateshow. Now, let's talk about the reason that we are all actually here. And that, of course, is One Night in Miami, the fiction feature debut of director Regina King. Uh, based on a stage play uh, with screenplay written by the same author who was Kemp Powers, who, as Michael said, also helped out on Soul. And this movie stars Kingsley Ben-Adir, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, who we saw uh, early last year in Invisible Man, and also Leslie Odom Jr., amongst a bevy of other familiar names and faces who I am sure we will talk about and uh, this movie circles around, uh, as you might have guessed, a single night in Miami where uh, four gentlemen of uh, varying levels of fame get together to talk about the struggle. Here is the trailer. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. <laughs> New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, champ, we don't suppose you. All right. That is a trailer for One Night in Miami. Uh, this is a film that is out on Amazon Prime now, and I am shocked to say that it was actually super easy to find. There yeah. were buttons everywhere. And uh, Good job, Amazon. there's actually ads for this one on the internet. So like really stepping it up on this one, Amazon. It's a bad time. So let's talk about our feelings about One Night in Miami. We begin, as always, with our nutshell reviews before we move into more spoilery territory. So 
Jose, what did you think of One Night in Miami? What what struck me instantly about One Night in Miami, and I mean this as the best kind of compliment I guess I can give, is that this is what I wish a theater was like right now. Because uh, the, the, the film adaptation doesn't really, uh, you know, try to separate that much from its theatrical roots. Uh, mostly because the film's like set in like one room basically. And even when they do like, let's do some outside shots, which by the way, I think this movie has the coolest title card of any movie um, that I saw from 2020. Um, And I love that. I love that it's so faithful to how much Regina King loves actors and how much she loves to see actors just like hanging out, I guess, and playing real life people. And it's, you know, I I, I went in thinking that it was going to be some sort of like a Miramax era kind of like Oscar-y, like prestige kind of movie. And instead I was left with like probably like the most satisfying theater piece that I've seen uh, during the pandemic. All right. Bill Graham. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this film. Uh, I made kind of an event of it last night. Uh, I invited my mom over, and uh, me, Erica, and my mom all sat down to to watch this. Um, and so, yeah, I I really enjoyed this. Uh, I didn't know much back a lot of background about a lot of these various characters. Uh, I think the one that I'm most familiar with is Muhammad Ali, um, which, you know, is good and bad. It means that this film is definitely a discovery in a lot of things. Um, I know that this is, you know, inspired by true events and you can kind of draw from that what you want. You know, uh, I'm not going to take this as, as, you know, at face value as the gospel truth. But, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed that. And yes, that was a little bit of a pun. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed this. I enjoyed the performances so much. And I enjoyed the fact that so many times we see a film that is about the movement in in some way right um and, and not trying to uh talk around it you know this one's specifically about uh black empowerment and you know the political rights movement at the time um but any movement and you know a lot of these films talk a big game about being about something and they ultimately end up being more flashy than substance and this film definitely has these characters like really air their grievances and their concerns and and really discuss through a lot of things now i don't necessarily think we we come to a lot of uh a lot of great headway and a lot of different aspects of this which is you know not this film's necessarily uh, not this film's problem right it's it cannot solve the civil rights movement uh by itself but uh it definitely leaves you with a lot of questions and and you know thing things to ponder um and i i really enjoyed its commitment to actually having that discussion with these characters as as these larger than life figures at at kind of the height of their of their time so yeah i thoroughly enjoyed this all right, Michael Snydell. 
You know, I, I found this frustrating, and I'm not sure how much this is my general difficulty with uh, film ad- adaptation. It's film adaptations of stage plays. Um, I will say I haven't had a, a ton of experience, but this year, it, this past year, in fact, was pretty interesting in the sense that I had three different comparisons in Hamilton on uh, Disney Plus, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, and. Uh, sorry, and one night in Miami, and then the father, and so the father by far was my my favorite, and that is in fact because even though it was written or directed by the playwright, I thought it did wonderful things with editing, and just to the father isn't super familiar to that many people yet because it's released. It's very weird, but essentially that's about uh, Anthony Hopkins' character succumbing to dementia. So the film very much plays with editing. So what I would say about One Night in Miami is similar to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I, I had a lot of difficulty with uh, the theatricality of the of the dialogue um in in both of those films even though ma rainey's black bottom is it's far more of a, an actual musical i it just it feels flat to me at, at a certain point and so again i'm not sure how much that is my difficulty in being able to separate stage and film but this film in particular one night in miami i think was frustrating to me because there were bits of things that felt more cinematic to me i'm sure we're gonna talk a lot about the chain gang scene i'm sure we're gonna i i I love the the attention to detail when um when when cassius and and malcolm are are praying inside the inside the apartments and, and the two men are outside and essentially take turns praying as well (laughs) like there's there's all of these great little details here but i think ultimately in a lot of these longer monologue sections i have a very unpopular opinion and in the sense that i don't think until maybe the last half an hour i really liked kingsley benadir i i kept hoping that uh, Aldous Hodge, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke, and Cassius, I, I found them really infectious personalities. And I feel like Malcolm had bits of specificity. I love the phone call scene with his, uh, with his wife and daughter. But so much of his kind of arguments about uh you know being part of the movement whether it's related to capitalism or being political it just it it just didn't land for me and i just like i found him a buzzkill in the same way as the <laughs> as the other characters to a certain point i think that it lands near the end really well with me but it was it was very confusing to so I, I just saw this. Uh, I just saw this yesterday. I've heard about this for a long time, and I've heard over and over again about Kingsley Benadire. And I'll just say my standout for me in this is Aldous Hodge. Uh, he's he's the one who kept bringing me along um, when when some of the characters just felt like they were going in circles. And I the final thing I'll say is without spoilers. 
this movie plays something that we're kind of aware of as a reveal in the last 10 minutes. And I couldn't help but hope that was almost in the first 10 minutes. So we could speak about it with a lot more specificity. So yeah, I I think there are a couple interesting scenes in here, but I also can't really separate that. I just kind of wanted to see this on a stage. Yeah, I mean, whenever you have a movie that's adapted from a stage play, it's um, it's going to be weird. Especially if you've never seen the stage play, because your mind kind of starts doing this thing where it's like, okay, they must not have had this in the stage play, clearly. Yeah, you know? I was wondering. Sorry, and, yeah, I was wondering <clears throat> that exact thing. And then, And then you also start thinking stuff like, this must have just happened like in a corner of the stage. And in the movie, <laughs> they've decided like, look, we've got a camera. We can do edits. Maybe we should have them, I don't know, go to the roof, go to a store, you know, do a bunch of other stuff. It's so, so that's a little weird. But I generally, I liked this movie. I guess I should start off by saying that. Um, it's funny because I agree, Michael Snydell, that Malcolm X, this is a weird thing to say, Malcolm X is a real buzzkill. He's just like, you've got these. Especially after Denzel's Malcolm X, which is just like one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Right. Like it's, I, you know, I, you, you almost wish that he was more fire and brimstone. Like they keep claiming that he is <laughs> like, you wish he, he seems, I don't even know like the right or, or proper way to put this, but he seems in this movie, I kept thinking, of like a young, depressed, extra nerdy, like downer Barack Obama, who just like <laughs> never found his charisma, and and just never found like the the right cadence or tone to really like deliver his his thoughts and ideas as anything other than like a kind of petulant whine. Like you have these three titanic men of charisma. And power and personality. And then in the corners, it's just this guy who's like, guys, come on. Like, we should talk about the struggle. Like, you should be doing more. And they're like, I'm at the top of my game, man. Like, I just knocked a guy out, baby. Like, everything's cool for me. Like, can I just party for tonight? Like, can we please just have, like, we're in Miami. We're all famous as hell and rich. Like, can we just have fun? And he's like, no, we have to not drink. And we have to, you know, make fun of Sam Cooke. And... It was, they got um, vanilla ice cream. <laughs> yeah, it was so. It, but it's weird because at the same time, I'm like, I kind of like the the. I don't know. I like. It's kind of weird to say like they humanized him by turning him into kind of a whiner and like a, a real wet blanket on everyone else's good time. But like he, I don't know how. It's so difficult to talk about this because like I partially just want to talk about the movie and how I felt about the movie and the fact that like yeah you know whenever. Malcolm X took the the spotlight again. It kind of got like dampened. Whereas like whenever he left the room and you just got to have like, you know, Jim Brown and, and the future Muhammad Ali, like talking about like, you know, sports and how awesome they are. It's just like, yeah, this rules. And Sam cook, you know, as, as he is as a performer, Leslie Odom Jr. Plays him in this movie as like this charismatic, awesome man who, with all this talent and all this feeling and all this drive and he just you just really want a lot more of them. But the funny thing is, I think that that's that's like a part and parcel with this theme and the story and the message of the movie. 
is that like in order for things to happen, you kind of do need the guy who's like, look, you're all having fun and everything, but there is a problem and we need to deal with it. And you have a moral responsibility to try to help. But I just wish that it could be done a little more like organically fun but yeah like organic it it really is it's i think like if you see a play you accept some of the artifices artifice artifices yeah whatever artifice yeah some of the artifice and artificiality i I just kept trying to think of like multiple artifices (laughs) a little a little better so like it's like okay well you know it's a play like we have to work around the limitations of that and that's half the fun so like you know, you're in a ro- you're literally in the room with these four guys in a room having this conversation and there's an electricity to that. But like through a camera lens with the editing, you know, with with all the things that can be done, you're just kind of like, what? Like, did, did, did they like is Malcolm X really the jerk friend who like told them they were going to all hang out together and is now trying to convert them? Like. <laughs> That just doesn't seem like his his jibe, man. Like, or you'd think that he would be more electric. But like, it's hard for me to separate. Is that a failure of performance? Is that a failure of like translation from stage to to screen? Or is that mm-hmm. just like is that just what the movie's about? Like, <laughs> but generally, like I said, I, I I enjoyed watching this movie. I found a lot of the conversations to be really you know, thought provoking and, and I liked it. I liked it up and down and um, I'd probably watch it again, honestly, because it's just like, you know, the, the quartet at the center of this is just electric to watch. And uh, I also want to agree with Jose that the title card in this is the best that I've seen this <laughs> year. It's just so good. Though I do, I do wonder how does a person just stand at the bottom of a pool? And he can't swim. Like gotta, they, they're like, the he can't even swim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's so weird to me because I was watching. And I was like, oh, he must have like weights on his ankles. I'm like, no, he seems like he's just down there. That's imp- that's more impressive than the boxing. <laughs> like that's just incredible. <laughs> How is he doing that? I, I wonder if I can talk a little bit about the, the the Malcolm X being. I don't know if this is the right place for me to like make a lot of Sex in the City references, but oh, please, someone do. will catch <laughs> no, this. And I understand, you know, like I agree with Malcolm being the Miranda basically and being like no fun. But I wonder, you know, like the way that I, there are like two elements about this that I really, really loved. There was this moment when uh, both Malcolm X and Ali are in the same uh, shot together. And I was like, it's so cool. Uh, it's also very depressing. But it's so cool that we finally, you know, like 20 years ago, we could have only thought that the Denzel and Will takes on this character's that's it that that's all we're gonna get so i was so appreciative Mm. that we are at a time when there's like so much work to be done still when it comes to uh, representation of black characters on screen but we're getting different takes on characters that you know we thought maybe we already had like the final versions of so i was so appreciative of that and that's what i got from this malcolm basically because in so many ways like the four characters in this movie are archetypes and uh, Jim, Sam, and Ali, for better or for worse, kind of like carry that archetype of the entertainer in private. And I was actually very moved by Kingsley Banadier and what I thought about his, you know, being very annoying, uh, totally like buzzkill, and he won't let them go out for like any fun. But it was precisely that. Like, what if that was the real 
him. Like he's maybe turning off the charisma. And then only when he's in community with his people, he can actually be like, okay, I'm not going to be charismatic. I'm not going to be fiery. I'm just going to be exhausted. And I'm just going to get to work because that's what we need to do right now. And I, yeah, I, his, his exhaustion, it plays well, honestly, like they, he, he definitely has that down, especially, uh, you know, it's really hard to talk about what is or isn't a spoiler in this movie. So I'm just going to say like, we're going to start spoiling it. You've heard all of our thoughts <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, there's yeah. no point in trying to hold it back. Um, especially when they talk about him. Also, it's on fucking Amazon. Like go, go watch it. Yeah. Like what do you <laughs> we're, mean? we're in 1964. A lot of things are four different things happen to these men. Like if you look up 1964 for each of these men, a big change happens for all of them. Uh, now I want to look up when Sam Cooke was murdered. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not sure oh, about he that. He did. He but... was murdered in uh, December 11th, 1964. Really? Yeah. I, I want to know it's going to come uh, it's, on TV. was, but okay, sorry. Well, you can I look that up to... while I say what I'm going to say. I, w- I will. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that. I think that what like what they do to as as uh, as they said to humanize Malcolm X and like show him at this kind of like beaten low level you know he sees the feds everywhere and honestly ninety percent of the time it probably is the feds um, and and he just knows that he's besieged you know by everyone and it's it is it is something but I I think that for me that might be where the question of failure of performance comes in because I think that that comes out every now and then but I wish that if that were the case when he's making his more strident points that he was more strident like that he was still able to kick up some of that and then he could like cascade down into exhaustion like I guess I wish to that end that he was able to to modulate a little better to show that like he's kind of like playing his last card here and really really like needs this all to go over well and wants these people on his side it's funny you say that though because i feel like i got that from from the way that he kind of breaks down in this film and the way that he like clearly they realize uh Muhammad Al- or uh sorry at this point it's Cassius uh Cassius and uh uh Jim Brown both realize like how nasty Sam and and Malcolm are getting towards each other and it seems like they've never really seen this side of of Malcolm as as he is right now. Right. Um, they all mention, you know, the knives are out and, and things of this nature. They mentioned that several times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think at certain points, uh, both, uh, Cassius and Jim kind of pull Muhammad or, uh, Malcolm aside and are like, Hey, like <laughs> what the hell is going on? You know? Um, and so you're I not do helping think, this situation yeah. like that type and, of thing. Yeah. And and so I do think the film and and the way that his just dis- desperation, just the look of desperation on his face, you know, really sells that. So it's it's interesting, you know. Michael mentioned it kind of uh, how he didn't really connect to uh, the actor's portrayal as well, I believe. And you know, 
it is funny because definitely while I was filming or filling out my ballots and, and stuff like that, I was trying to think of all the different, you know, performances I've seen. So I, I used uh, Gold Derby to kind of, uh, you know, figure out who is, you know, the names Monster. and everything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it, it's, it's just a good way to kind of encapsulate like everything else that's happening with all these ballots. But uh, his name was definitely near the top of a lot of these lists. And so, you know, there is definitely people are connecting to his portrayal in particular. Sure. So it's it's interesting, you know, that that y'all are like, eh, he kind of sucks and he's kind of a wet blanket. And I don't, I don't necessarily I don't, I, I don't necessarily not the disagree actor. with yes, I don't yeah. know, I know, I know. But you are saying the character that he is portraying and, and that's kind of you know, if this is a three-legged chair, you're knocking one of those legs out, right? Well no, you're it's like, a four-legged oh, chair, so we've turned it into a bar stool. Okay. <laughs> but but I am saying, you know, th- there is quite a lot of uh groundswell that he is he is giving a fantastic performance. So, it's interesting, you know? I definitely think I think that it's I think that it's not like perhaps a bad performance. I just don't think it's the performance that I need to emotionally connect in in the way that the movie wants me to. Cuz a lot of the I you know, mm. art is subjective, personalities, blah blah blah. I just like there were moments in this movie where I was like, I just wish Sam Cook would deck this guy and leave. He doesn't need this. Like he's he's a lot better than this guy is is giving him credit for. And I, I there was actually a, an article on GodHelpMeSlate.com <clears throat> that it talks about the ways that One Night in Miami actually like it's all called How One Night in Miami Shortchanges the Greatest Singer of All Time. Um, whether or not you think Sam Cooke is the greatest singer of all time, uh, it's up for debate. Um, my father happens to think uh, Nat King Cole is. I think I might agree with him. But just in terms of voice, like Sam Cooke is way, way, way up there. And I think that the the movie is is pretty, and I guess the play, and I, you know, definitely Malcolm X in the movie and the play, um, is just a little a little hard on Cooke. And I don't think that I ever really like was truly on his side. And I think that for the movie to like hit a true 10 and for um, the performance by Kingsley Benadire to, to, you know, reach its peak, I need, I need to be there. And I think that there just might be a part of me that just never got one over in the way that I needed to, which, you know, is not the fault of anyone uh, because you can't like completely change, you know, Malcolm X's stand on everything just to suit a movie. But you know, that's that's just part of what I was having to deal with. I, I think it's really, really interesting. I, Jose, I, I really did love the way you described this as, you know, the possibility that in in uh, in public he would be this charismatic guy. But, uh, you know, behind closed doors, he's someone very different. I, I guess my one counter to that, though, is I, I think there I, – I think for so long – Flatline is is t- too much because it because it, it, it diminishes his, his what 
the kind of quiet work he's doing here. But again, to go to, you know, uh, what is the standout scene for me where he's recounting uh, Sam Cooke's, you know, what should have been a failure of a show that uh, became a wonderful moment that cemented his ability to bring people together. Like the way that he recounts that story has such a sense of, uh, it has such a sense of passion and specificity that I think, you know, earlier in the movie, I think it's very intentional that he is a little bit, he's a little bit vague in a way. Like I, I think Malcolm X's character is, is, the characterization here is, and the way he's written is kind of fascinating in the sense that you are having Sam Cooke, you know, very specifically talk about uh, how his belief that he's helping the cause by being the one who owns the masters. You have, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali uh, talking about, um, you know, why he's, well, um, sorry guys, can you still hear me? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I really need to get other headphones. My headphones are being very weird. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, my Bluetooth headphones have just been really bad. Uh, I'm sorry. I'll be back in five seconds. Sorry about that. I hope he remembers what he was going to say. I do. I do. Are we just, write it down. Are Someone we doing write... a game of who's who? Because there's four of us, right? Oh, yeah. At the end, it's going to be like, okay, which one of us is the Miranda? <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be the Miranda. By the way, <laughs> I feel like I would be the Miranda in a, in a in a move in a, in a in a movie in in a Sex in the City thing. I feel like my I don't know moral objections and conceptions of monogamy and stuff. I would I would probably be Miranda. No, I'm Charlotte. I'm a Charlotte. I don't know who the fuck Miranda is. <laughs> She's a redhead. How do you oh, know who Miranda is? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I never really watched. Yeah. Sex in the City. I She's watched it like wasted. Governor of New York, Cynthia Nixon. So. Twice. So I'm definitely Charlotte. I'm the brunette. I'm the cute one. <laughs> I don't All know, right, Jose, I'm, who do you think you are? I don't know. I kind of want to be, I kind of want to be like a Jim Brown because like he's the Samantha for me. But also like Alice Hodge is way too hot for me to like pretend that I'm going to be him. So oh, I'm, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> It, in terms like, of like which per- person's attractiveness I could like match, I guess Michael Imperial. Yeah, Michael Imperial. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because he's white. I just think like, yeah, me and him are probably at the same level of decay. <laughs> he, he does not look good. And I don't know if this is on the podcast or not anymore, but yeah, he does not look good in this movie. Oh, man, he looks rough. I think he's supposed to, though. You know, I know. He's, I, he, know. I mean, he's not a, a he's not a, a pretty man. He's not a star in this movie. Um, yeah. I don't know. I would say. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm Malcolm X just because of the photography thing, but I might be Malcolm X just because of the photography thing. <laughs> there you go. Also, the religion. Maybe I've got religion. You know, you are devout. That that is a large part of your being. Yeah. Not to the same religion, obviously, but you know, it's still it's still there. Like a kind of small, yeah, <laughs> a small difference in of philosophies and ideologies there. But, so that uh, means, uh, that means okay. Bill and Michael have to fight it out between who's who's Cassius Clay and who's Sam Cooke. Well, if there's any fighting, I'm going to be Sam Cooke. <laughs> okay, so Bill Graham is Cassius Clay just because he's the only person here who lifts. <laughs> <laughs> So we did it. All right. 
We did it. Did it. All right. Podcast over. It's done. And that's it. We're done. <laughs> okay. So, Michael, what what was your point? What, what were you getting towards? Sure. I'm I'm sorry, guys. My headphones are just You're being fine. weird. Um. I yeah. My point was I I I, I think the thing. So I, I think it's a combination of of two things. Again, I, I think that scene where Malcolm recounts that he's actually been to five, uh, you know, Sam Cooke concerts, and he was there at this concert that was going to be a disaster, where it started in you know an acapella version of Chain Gang. Speaking of fucking great songs, um, which I, like which, okay, no, you've got to finish because you've been waiting. <laughs> So yeah, so that starts and and the way Malcolm recounts this is with more passion and specificity than he's had up until up to this entire movie. And I, I I feel like that's obviously supposed to be this great moment where, you know, something else is coming out of him. But I just think, uh, again, to what I was saying is I feel like it holds in too much about his own experiences for too long. Like, I just think early in the film, he's doing quiet work. He's obviously a great actor, but it just, it it wasn't just that he was a buzzkill. It's not that simple, obviously, but it's the fact that the certain energy levels of the other men you know, it's not only has a certain magnetic quality that pulls you along, but I just didn't feel like, you know, if this is supposed to be a dialectic and all of these men are arguing their viewpoints, I just didn't really find, like, I understood, obviously, what Malcolm was trying to say, but I didn't really feel like he was making his arguments until late in the film. Um, and And I think that's what the... What the problem was for me is, is that first hour is just, you know, Malcolm understandably being paranoid. You know, he's just left the Nation of Islam. He's planning to start his own organization. And that's that's really compelling. But I don't feel like it's playing out with the same nuance in the conversations with the men in the way that I feel like it's supposed to have, you know, even in the last... 15, 20 minutes. Um, I, 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 and I understand that it's obviously supposed to build, but it, it's more like it's a straight line and then uh, a pretty a pretty large spike. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what Malcolm is in this movie for me uh, with like occasional things that aren't actually about the conversation. But again, the phone scene where I was like, Oh, the charisma here, the the gentle voice he's doing, the way he talks to his wife compared to his daughter, like all of that. I, I'm like, where is this in the conversation in the hotel room? I guess that's what it is. Like, it, it's almost like, yes, he's supposed to be the out man out, but he also melds so much into the group that I don't feel like he's adding that much until too late for me. Does that make a little bit more sense? 
Well, it's it, it's funny you say that though, because I mean that it, it, like that is what Sam kind of like calls him out on is that he isn't this kind of uh, giant figure, right? Like he isn't the superstar of of the trio. Um, yeah. You know, he he mentions Bill, there's four of them. Or, sorry, in in the in the. <laughs> How the fuck? I think he was saying the three entertainers. I think that's how his brain. No, because he was was saying Malcolm X is a part of the. You said it was like a three-legged chair. Now you're saying it's a trio. Okay, I wonder if that says something. I wonder if that says something actually about how you subconsciously view Malcolm X in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, no, and so you know he he does kind of stand out in that way and i think i think you're right to kind of sniff out the fact that yes it is supposed to be building so i i think i think it builds very well for me that like his conversations with them are tiptoeing towards a lot of things that he is going to end up talking to them about, right? Like Jim kind of knows a little bit ahead of the game, but the sure. uh, but the other two clearly had no idea that he was splitting with the Nation of Islam, that he was starting his own thing, right? They either are just oblivious to it or have kind of not wanted to kind of engage with, you know, that kind of news that seems to be kind of floating around at the time um so you know i i definitely think it is supposed to be building but um i do think he is supposed to kind of stand out initially and you know he's supposed to make this kind of grand (laughs) grand kind of gesture towards cassius at this time to try and bring him along with him because he knows that if if he doesn't have kind of a big name alongside him, that this venture that he's about to embark on may, might just fall flat on its face. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I think he is understandably tiptoeing around like what he's trying to do and what he's what he's saying there. Um, and. Yeah, I, I I can understand why why that is frustrating to watch him be charismatic with other other people outside of this circle, right? Um, and and things of that nature. Um, it also does seem like his character, in particular, especially out in the spotlight, is is very kind of meek, um, which is you know I think partly just simply because his character at this point is so paranoid and I think you see yeah. him kind of liven up a little bit when he's on that rooftop. And of course that's also when he has that big kind of fight with, with Sam, you know, well, one of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, Jose, what do you, uh, what do you make of my, <laughs> I, apparently a minority opinions about uh, a Malcolm? Michael, like I, you know, like you're talking about building up towards something. And I think for me, what's really what this movie builds up towards and what's the most heartbreaking thing about the movie was that, you know, you mentioned a dialectic, right? And I don't think that's what Malcolm wants. I think he arrives with the idea that he's going to easily be able to convert this three entertainers. And what bothers him so much is that the three of them, in so many ways, are basically um, 
colorblind in their entertainment. Mm. Like they need the applause and they need the acceptance of white people. You know, one of them's like making movies, like the other one's like freaking Ali. And obviously uh, Sam, right? Like there's like that whole thing about like, there's that scene at the beginning with like white people just being assholes to him. And Malcolm X to me arrives thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. I'm going to remind them of how they've been treated and this won't take me like a second. So for me, the heartbreak that the movie builds towards is knowing that, that he never had a chance. I mean, there's the three of them who have figured out the way to be black men in 1964. And it's something that Malcolm doesn't agree with at all, but he never will. So for me, that's like what's so um, frustrating, but also so beautiful about the movie that the movie saying the conversation now is really up to you, the viewer. Like these people are basically all dead. I mean, Malcolm and Sam would be dead within a year of when the movie takes place. So that to me is where it takes us. And it's really heartbreaking. I, I'm curious. Then I, I I think that's a great point that he that Malcolm's going in not expecting friction, but I, I'm curious. Then it, it does certainly seem like the movie isn't interested in in being a dialectic either. I mean, based on the final scenes, I mean, I, I really do love the bit of ambiguity with uh, Cassius Clay's uh, well Muhammad Ali at that point expression, right? when he's joining the nation of Islam. But um, I, I think, I, I think the thing is that the film ultimately prioritizes Malcolm's uh, Malcolm's belief. And in a way that, I mean, it's strange because my own <laughs> ideologies and beliefs are completely in line with Malcolm, but it's like, he didn't convince me <laughs> in a way. <laughs> well, so it's, I mean, it's bad when you're preaching there. to the choir and the choir is still like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I, I think this film definitely pokes fun at at that aspect a little bit. You know, I mean, a it is kind of a it's uh, I'm not saying this is a bottle episode, but it kind of feels like it's a bottle episode specifically more than likely because it was kind of originally created for the stage. Right. And so that is kind of this, this idea is they want to go party. They want to go live because they're at the top of the world. And he's like, let's sit in this quiet little ass hotel. Right. And, and it's not even at Sam's place where like you get a look at it and you're like, holy shit. Like, (laughs) yeah, like this is, this is where you might want to have a party, right? Not the, hotel that they're actually in and so as soon as uh sam cook arrives you're you're like no they're not gonna have a party in here like this this is this just seems like a bad idea like maybe open the door maybe but you know at that point it's like once malcolm x gets involved it's like no those doors are gonna go close so you know uh but yeah i i think i think part of the tension is the fact that you know this even happens kind of in this small small arena right um but i i, I just find it hilarious I've, I've kind of lost my train of thought i'm sorry uh what, what what were you mentioning michael i'm trying to get back on track real quick i i knew where you were going for a bit but um i i was just trying to say that i i feel i, I feel like oh, oh, really his, his religion it didn't, didn't malcolm doesn't convince me i yes, even yes. though i believe in it 
Well, uh, and I think I think that is one of this film's most potent kind of exercises is we see that Cassius at this time is is not fully in, but is like you know one one, one foot, foot yeah. one foot in the door, right? And he's about to like just open up and and make this big announcement it, it feels like it's on on the rise right and all of a sudden there's just like holes poked in the religion holes poked in the methodology holes poked in you the know uh, uh, yeah the leader like you know when when they have that big argument of I'm about to convert over to something that you are about to leave. Like what, what <laughs> is going on here? You know? And it, he's like, well, I'm not splitting with, you know, uh, the idea of being a Muslim. I am splitting with the nation of Islam at that point. Right. And, and he's, you know, trying to explain this to, to Cassius and Cassius is like, no, 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 no! You you were about to pull me into the nation of Islam. Like, don't <laughs> don't tell me that that's not what was going to happen, you know. And so now you're trying to make me take a right turn, and I thought we were going left, you know. Um, so it, it is interesting because the film doesn't pull any punches in in trying to kind of show the reality of like, hey, Muhammad, you are, what does he say he is? He's 21 or 23 um, at this He's time. very, very young at that time. And, yeah. and you're just like, holy crap. And you're about to become a, a Muslim, swear off, you know, uh, alcohol and all of these things that, just kind of go with the vibe of even the idea of who Muhammad Ali is, right? Like, like a big kind of not necessarily party boy, but like just larger than life celebratory. Like you would expect him to drink. You would expect him to smoke. You would expect him to uh, champagne everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Engage in some of those frivolous things. And the idea that like, he's not supposed to even drink among, among polite company is like, whoa, you know? Um, and it hits him hard. Cause he's like, whoa, I am super young. Like I haven't really had my time in the spotlight. Um, and you know, his spotlight is only going to get bigger from here. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think, it isn't supposed to necessarily convert people over. I think that should have already been done specifically for Cassius, right? Like that is why he is one foot in the door. He is ready, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he is ripe. And, and these are kind of the last minute, last second things that are kind of the bumps in the road because Malcolm is really, you know, having this kind of crisis of like, you know, the religious sect that I kind of tied my horse to is trying to leave me behind. Oh, yeah, that's that's just how I yeah, felt. I can can we talk about wh- one thing? I want to I want to mention one one fun thing that I just looked up. Uh, 
Aldis Hodge, who plays uh, Jim Brown in this. Um, I, I was just watching this movie, the the uh, three diehards in a row, the Die Hard <laughs> original trilogy. He's actually in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He plays Samuel L. Jackson's small little uh, nephew in that film. So uh, that's oh, wow. what that's what he was kind of he started with. So he did that in 1995. So he's uh, he's 34 years old. So he's uh, born in 86. Same thing as I am. So, um, but uh, the other thing I wanted. To to mention and and this is another f- fun small little thing uh nitpicky thing um i think the guy that plays muhammad ali or uh cassius clay at, at this point um eli gory um yeah. he's way too fucking big like he looks like an <laughs> nfl running back and and like granted muhammad ali is is a is a big boxer he is very large but he does not look like that <laughs> i i looked at him coming out of that pool and i was just like holy shit where did they find this guy this guy's fucking huge so he does what, his I, performance is really spectacular though like he, I, I, he, at times he almost comes off as parody but man some of the way that some of the ways that he says certain lines and the way that he say can't and and certain phrases like that it just sounds so much like him he's got kind of that mannerism and i think ali is such a character that he's like a lot of these larger than life characters where you watch a biopic or or things like that and for the first 10 minutes you just can't turn off your brain and finally you kind of find the rhythm and he's got that going for him um it 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 took me a couple of uh you know interactions with his character but man once once he starts talking for a long period of time he really really nails it so Muhammad Ali is fascinating, too, because so many of the things that you could potentially see as shtick or parody are so (laughs) ingrained in his being when he talks, whether it's his body language, his restlessness, the the way he pronounces certain words. Like so many of these things that could verge on parody are in every, you know, archive footage you archive interview you ever listen it's, to. It's one of those things where it's like the the size of the the character of Muhammad Ali does no favors to people who have to play <laughs> Muhammad Ali as a character. Mm-hmm. Like you're just you're just you're just doomed because it's like I have to like he was a he was a showboat. Like that's what some people hated about him. It's what we've all grown to love about him. And you're just like and now I have to like play that like that's so difficult. And I think that I think that um, that Guri plays that really well as coming from like a place of very youthful exuberance. Yeah. On top of like just his ass- assertion that he's the greatest. And it's like really it's really hard to argue when someone literally just became heavyweight <laughs> champion of the world. Yeah, he literally is. But he's saying it like, yeah, of course I am. I've known that. I've been telling you people that. Mm-hmm. Well, they, I, I i i love the sequence when i think he's jumping up and down on the bed, on the bed. And, 
and Jim Brown's character is just looking at him and you're just like, and he, I think it it was right around that time. He mentions how old he is and you're just like, this guy's a fucking child. Like he is, he is such a kid. Like, and yeah, he's got millions, you know, I I don't know what his, his total at this point is, but you assume his, his bank account is just flooded with money and it's just like, yeah, this guy is at the top of the world right now. He just won the heavyweight championship. He wants to go party and he's stuck in this fucking hotel room. He is going to go crazy. Yep. And it's kind of funny when, when you think about it, like I just like Malcolm X was probably like at least like, like at least a decade older than him, right? Like a decade older than most of these guys. Yeah. And it's just like, I can't even imagine. Like, I almost wish they'd like leaned into that more. Just like the disparity. Like, like if I was trying to, like if I were in any way attached to any kind of meaningful anything and trying to like talk to three height of power, like young men about like (laughs) the real shit. And just, especially after one of them literally just became the heavyweight champion of the world. Like at the pinnacle, not just of his, his talent, but his literal quantifiable success. Yeah. It's just, it, I think that there's a tension there that doesn't get played up enough, despite how still interesting this movie is to like, to take in and, and to like, look at the arguments that are being made. I mean, I think Sam Cooke does a really terrific job. And I think uh, Jim Brown backs him up basically saying like economic like liberty is a form of liberation and the mm-hmm. things that we can do like that is power. And I like that he points out to Malcolm X, like you don't have a job. Yeah. Like that's you're, you're not, you're not out there like scraping and surviving and making money. Like, yeah, Sam cook makes a lot of good arguments about, you know, starting his own label, owning his masters, like promoting other, other black artists. And then talking about like, like, you know, you want to talk to me about the British invasion? Like, I don't know the Beatles are coming. Like I, licensed a song to the Rolling Stones because you know who gets paid more than a person who you know writes a, a number a number 97 Billboard Top 100 the person number who writes one. a number one yeah it's like so if they want to do that and make me and my people a shit ton of money like I'm totally fine with it and I think that there is something to be said for that like there there comes a point where you know, as much as Malcolm X has a point about like leveraging your power to do something like, yeah, we're, we're all living in a shared, I don't want to say the word society, but here I am a shared society. Like, like, you know, if, 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 even if not to get along to make money and to be successful, you like, there's a reason that we talk about these ballooning big budget films as being like four quadrant hits. You know, Mm -hmm. we're trying, we are in fact, in order to make the most money and the most success, trying to please everyone. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Um, I I find it a little odd that, uh, that, that Malcolm X places so much importance on, uh, Bob Dylan singing, uh, blowing in the wind. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yeah. When I think it's, I, I, oh God, I should have looked this up. Um, I'm pretty sure it was Peter, Paul and Mary. Who actually got popular with it? I'm pretty sure they, I thought that they, I thought that they, I don't know if they wrote it or I don't know if they like, 
Because no. here's the thing. So Bob Dylan, I think Bob Dylan wrote Blowing in the Wind, but I, the, the one that charted, yeah. I'm pretty sure, was Peter, Paul, and Mary's. Bob Dylan had this thing where he kept writing really great songs that other people made better Peter, versions yeah. of. All on the Watchtower. All along yeah. the Watchtower, Mr. yeah. Tambourine Man, The mm-hmm. Birds. I mean, yeah. It's just like if you get someone who you can actually understand what they're saying. <laughs> and who does yeah. So it, it was re-released or yeah, it, it was written by Dylan in 1962. Right. Um, let's see here. I don't know if it's, it's necessarily, I, I think of it as a Bob Dylan song, so I'm not Weird, sure. Cause I think of it as, I legitimately think of it as Peter, Paul and Mary. Just that, like, how many roads must a man <laughs> like there? You it's, know, it's Woodstock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. I also think that I I wonder how that scene would play if he used the Peter Paul and Mary version. But I think that he can't because I think that that would play too much to Sam Cooke's point. Okay. Yeah. So so uh, Peter Paul and Mary's version. Uh, they mentioned here it made the song world famous, and uh, it also spent five weeks atop the easy listening chart, which again oh. like makes me like laugh out loud because I'm just like, oh, there's there's no rock chart at this point because sure. I think uh, Sam mentions you know the Beatles the pop chart. It's the pop chart, the, I think. Yeah, the R and B. Yeah, well, I I don't so, even know if the R and B was a chart back then. I think it was just wasn't it just black music or something along the like. Uh, I well, in the movie at least they they name check R and B. Oh, they yeah. do. There's a line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I, th- I thought he mentioned specifically that it didn't really have like a name. Um, but, but like uh, we're not. We're, I mean, we're not. Yeah. We're not here to try to like win the arguments that in this movie or no. perhaps you know. But I do think it's weird that that Malcolm X spends all his time being like. You never written a song about the struggle. And then he tells this beautiful, crazy story that I have to assume is probably true about Sam Cooke singing his song Chain Gang, which is literally about the human misery of forced prison labor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, does he like I just I kind of wish that Sam at some point would be like, and do you know what that song is about, Malcolm? <laughs> No, but there is there is something interesting too. I, I didn't make this. Uh, I, I I didn't realize this until right now. But I'm I'm thinking about the the very climax of this movie, as I was saying at the beginning. So 1964 is a big thing for all of these uh, all of these figures. Uh, Malcolm X is about, is he has the manuscript for his autobiography done. He uh, uh, Sam Cooke is on looks like the Tonight Show. Uh, in and uh, change is going to come comes out in February 1964. Um, Muhammad Ali, or excuse me, Cassius Clay becomes Muhammad Ali and joins the Nation of Islam. And I just realized what Jim Brown's one was, which is kind of an outlier. He quits the NFL and becomes mm-hmm. a movie star full time, which in a way is not really conforming to malcolm x's hopes in a way like there's something very interesting to me there i I mean uh, jose you already mentioned i i I think you're you are totally right there is a certain colorblindness that these entertainers have um but i don't i don't always i i I, like i i guess 
it, that scene, that end scene is particularly interesting to me because that's played just as triumphantly as the other ones. But in, in a way, wouldn't that be seen as, as a failure to someone like Malcolm X that Jim quit the NFL for a movie star career? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's like, you know, that coda is again, like it's the most heartbreaking because it's kind of like, you know, like it's kind of if brief encounter was a bromance and he realizes <laughs> that mm. none of these three men want to be in the brief encounter with him anymore. Like they've carved their paths from themselves in a way that meets survival and also just like, you know, like a life. And he doesn't agree with them. And that is, mm. again, like what for me is so heartbreaking about this movie. He never had a chance. Like this night, we don't know for for a fact what they ended up doing. Like maybe they had a circle jerk and Regina King and the playwright <laughs> are just being very, very generous. We sure. don't know. But uh, but based on what the movie uh, suggests, it's that. It's, you know, like they all went in wanting something that they didn't really get from this night. And... That is why the movie like hurts so much because like you can imagine these conversations, you know, like obviously like right now they would be like on Zoom or Skype or something, but you can still imagine this conversation, especially with um, with black people when they're in community and they're able to say, I mean, like because for instance, like I've been thinking right now, like Malcolm X, at least, uh, you know, Ben Kingsley, there's like Malcolm X wouldn't give a fuck about what any of us think about him. Oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure. And, yeah, and and that's Which like the good. whole point. Yeah. Like this guy doesn't care what we think he cares about what his three brothers think and he realizes that they don't care about what he thinks and it's uh, again like i don't know like yeah he's like boring and like a party poop and all of that um but that's like the ultimate heartbreak for me in the movie that you know he he's never gonna get that from them and he doesn't know it and he doesn't know that he should quit and just go have some fun i guess or just not show up next time so, Jose, just to be clear, I, I have to admit I did not read it this way. Yet you saw Sam finally writing a change is going to come. And, well, I guess Muhammad uh, Muhammad Ali joining specifically the Nation of Islam. You saw also those as as failures to, uh, to Malcolm. See, I thought a change is going to come. I'm trying to remember that exact scene, uh, whether Malcolm is watching that performance. Um, yes. I, I thought he seems – I thought he smiles. I, I may be misremembering that, though. I, I guess my point was is I, I I I really like this reading, but I don't think I got the sense other than Jim Brown that these men are letting Malcolm down. I guess, I guess Muhammad Ali because he joined exactly – you know, he could have joined Malcolm, I guess. Um, I'm sorry, I keep stopping myself. My, my point being, I didn't see this as uh, as a betrayal, I, I, as you're saying. Um, and I guess I'm, I mean, I'm going back and forth about whether there's uh, evidence that counters that. I, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't have, like, evidence or anything. I don't think there are betrayals. For me, but for him, I mean, imagine that, like, you know, like, we have Jim Brown here who is proving the world uh, how worthy he is through sport sportsmanship. What can be more degrading yeah. than to become a movie star, I guess, for someone like Malcolm, who has such high ideals 
for what uh, this man should be doing. And none of them live up to what he thinks they should be living up to. And that's the, the crux, I think, for him. Like, you know, he's kind of like a dad. He was 17 years older than uh, than Cassius when he was hanging out with them, which makes me think oh, wow. that's kind of creepy. But also, like, if we think about, like, our own, I mean, I don't know how old all of you are, but it totally makes me think about how we maybe, like, in our, uh, like, uh, early to mid thirties or whatever and and on how we are yelling at like twenty somethings on Twitter. <laughs> Go watch a movie with <laughs> subtitles and in black and white. Watch something yeah, watch something in black and white. Yeah. And they're like, we just want to have fun. Go watch Mank. Yeah. And aren't we kind of like the Malcolm X sometimes when we get too stuck in our own ideals of what the world should look like? I guess I'm just not like I I would hope you know and I might be wrong but I would hope that I don't come off the way that he comes off in this movie (laughs) (laughs) don't we all like nobody wants to be the (laughs) (laughs) right I mean I had to take it because of the faith and the camera which really the more I say it seems like thin reasoning but whatever um but you know like i i do talk to people you know even even like even my own daughter when she's like i want to watch youtube videos of other kids playing video games and i'm like no we're watching inside out like <laughs> but I'm like no he's on buñuel but i still make chocolate chip pancakes <laughs> god damn it you know so like i'm i'm still i'm still better than that you're there is- disappointed in cora that she wants chocolate why, why won't you have a, a, a an eggs benedict like a normal four year <laughs> you don't like runny eggs what's wrong with you as a person who also hates runny eggs i'm like nope i'm down with this <laughs> food has never been a problem she can she can eat whatever she wants as long as it's all balanced in the end but the it's the it's the video game youtube stuff that i do not understand oh can i be like a theater nerd for a second oh hell I yeah go for it you're like um you're like super like cinephile opinions or something like i don't know if you know that uh there's like two like very nerdy like theatrical connections in this movie um the actor who plays uh, Malcolm's wife, Joaquina Calucango, is actually a uh, Tony nominee right now. Although who the hell knows when we're going to have Tonys uh, for Slave Play. And I want to say that I love that Regina King went outside of like the Hollywood. I mean, I read a headline. I didn't read the article. So whatever. I don't know what it's about. But I read the headline where she was like, big movie stars didn't want to audition. So I was like, fuck it. I mean, she didn't say that. But she was like, fuck it. <laughs> Uh, and the other thing, and I don't know if you got any sense of something from this. I don't know if you guys know that uh, Nicolette Robinson, who plays Barbara Cook, uh, Sam's wife, is actually Leslie Odoms Jr.'s uh, wife in real life. And, oh, wow. And I don't know. Yeah, like they do like amazing work together. Like they right now during quarantine, they've been doing like, uh, you know, appearances and like Broadway Zooms and that kind of stuff. But I don't know if like this kind of like because I love the scenes also like i guess like there's like a scene basically between the two of them and i wonder if you now knowing this if you didn't know before have any like extra readings on like the intimacy uh in their scene together i think i think it's just such a small or short scene that it's it's hard to pull too much out of it um but no it's it's, it is interesting how, uh, you know, th- there is a lot of this stuff that that gets pulled out from, you know, whether a character's name matches up with like the actor's name or, or things like that. Like th- there's always those little funny coincidences where it's just like, oh, OK. And, you know, like, w- why not just 
cast my wife as my wife, or I guess at that point they were still dating. Um, I think, um, but yeah, like why not just cast her, you know, like she's, she's an actress, like she can do this. So it's interesting. I, I do want to ask, um, I, I'm looking for this and not coming up. Are any of these cast members? Oh, all of these cast members are different, are, aren't they? Uh, like it looks like so. I mean, every person plays a different character. Yes. What are you? What no, are you no, no. About? Sorry. <laughs> uh, in on the original stage play, it seems like the four men are played by different people than the. Uh, film adaptation. Oh, so they didn't pull mm-hmm. a rent and get like people no. who are 20 years too old for the parts to come back and play <laughs> them anyway. Uh, fascinatingly, uh, Sope Derisu, who was uh, like one of my breakouts this year for his house, uh, actually oh, played yeah. uh, Cassius Clay uh, in this. But um, yeah, I, it, it is interesting that you, you mentioned that, Jose, because I think, I do wonder if if some of this will play for people just more familiar with this with this world because i think that you know i i I have obviously seen some theater but like film is very much um the mode that i view most things in so i think a lot of times i had to almost like rewire my brain every time something felt more theatrical and like you know as i said there were outliers that felt very intimate to me but i don't think that's uh coincidental that they're the most cinematic (laughs) scenes i i I, and i just i don't know what to make of uh what to make of that and like i i I guess like i i maybe a better thing is to pose a question to all of you i mean did any of you feel like uh, we've talked about this a tiny bit, but do you guys wish this was more cinematic? Do you guys wish this was more theatrical? Cause personally it was two in the middle. I wanted it to pick one side or the other. I think it, I personally think it, it did a good job of splitting the difference. It's, it's just one of those things. Like if I wasn't aware that this was a stage play first, I might've just thought like, Oh, well it's like a cost cutting thing or whatever. Really? Like, you know, but okay. also like, you know, I don't know because it's hard to it's hard to say it's hard to know I think that it I think that it did a pretty good job I think that um I think that like the flashback to the chain gang thing was perhaps the most cinematic moment for me Mm -hmm. you know if we're if we're gonna start breaking it down like that I love that you've got the whole like the stomping and the chanting and then him singing and then as Malcolm X says, like way in the back, you couldn't even hear the singing. Yeah. And it Great pulls, piece of sound design. That yeah, it pulls well. back and the sound drops out and you can just hear what he could hear. I mean, that's 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 some good shit right there. I, I really like that. Um you know, it's I, I don't think that it's too overly flashy. I think that the the performances and the way they're modulated and the way everything is cut is really good. I do kind of wish that I could see this on stage. Um, just because I do think that, I think that like, you know, big conversational movies like this tend to probably play better on stage. I think that there is something about, you know, the act of editing and the act of like changing directions that it it just, it kind of, it kind of breaks things down a little bit. And I think that the, 
that the screenplay still would perform better as as a play. But yeah, that's just my I opinion. agree. No, I, I agree about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I had no issues with its theatricality and, and kind of its, you know, I, I think it is, like I mentioned, it's kind of funny that, you know, this film feels kind of grounded in its play roots, but I'm okay with that. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it, it makes for an intimate experience right um that these characters are the only time that they leave the room is under you know like fury or you know they just need to get out in some way Mm -hmm. i I can't remember what what leads them to go onto the roof but um you know I, i think it's interesting that that scene happens and you know there just happens to be fireworks it's just like it must be for me it's like, <laughs> I, I somehow doubt it but okay man you know it's like all right so yeah um yeah it's uh it's interesting well i guess uh, uh, jose Do you think he I- really meant that I don't know. Yes. I, I think I think that's I think that's what you always have to question about anything he says. Was you know some some of the things that you know he intended to do certain things and he tended to do this and that and you know that that is part of his theatricality. That's that's kind of his his mantra and you know I love that he gives credit to Gorgeous George for for you know basically being the guy that's that's kind of his his kind of idol in a way of like everybody hates this guy and yet he's just making money hand over fist and people pay money to see him lose and it's like he's got something going on that you know a lot of other people are like no that guy's a doofus like i hate him and it's like yeah but he's making a lot of money because you even know who he is you know well, Ali was a bit of a heel a little bit later oh, in his career, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think at a certain point, his greatness got so far ahead of him that he was. I, I don't. I, I don't know enough to say that he was the original kind of uh, backlash kind of guy, right? Like you know, all these films get all these awards considerations, and then it's like you know, all this Oscar buzz or whatever, like good movie buzz, and people are like, "Eh, that movie kind of sucks," right? Like there's there's always that backlash to it, and I think he sure. was definitely one of those where he was so good and he had such a string of either close defeats or that he lost and then would end up beating the person again that it just became kind of annoying that he was as good as he said he was right he talked the talk and and backed it up with his fists and his footwork and everything else um and that was the thing about him that i think kind of led a lot of people to kind of hate him towards the lot towards the end was it was just like shit this guy just is as you know uh we're seeing this right now with a guy named uh floyd mayweather who uh just beat colin mcgregor um he's been the longtime undefeated champion for quite a while and he talks a lot of shit too and people hate him and 
he might as well be speaking gibberish right now, Bill. Uh, yeah, well, I, I appreciate he's, it. He's, he's another them, boxer. but I'm just like, yep, he's yep. another <laughs> boxer. He's another <laughs> boxer, and and yeah. So I mean, that's that's What's... kind of the thing of of Ali. His mystique is he he kept talking all this talk, and eventually just backed everything up that he said. What's funny to me is that like, you know, I could understand in baseball if like the third baseman who's got like a two seven average or something was like i'm the greatest i'm the greatest it might seem like a little much but like because you know you're on a team man and you play one position but i feel like the one place where it's totally acceptable to be just like braggadocious full of yourself really really egotistical is as a boxer in a boxing ah, ring. I feel like you need football. <laughs> even that you're still like on a team and like, you know, Oh, like you're a great quarterback, but if your uh, offensive line wasn't there, you get sacked the fuck out of you every time. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, you're alone in the ring. You have to hit another huge guy and make him fall down. Like, yeah, I feel like at the end of that, you get to, you get to brag a little bit. Um, sure. it's funny. Uh, Bill, just talking about like the backlash and everything. There is like legitimately an episode of Mad Men. Mm-hmm. where um, I think Don Draper drunkenly talks about how much he doesn't like Muhammad Ali because he brags too much. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's it's weird to like talk about another piece of fiction entertainment for that. But, you know, Mad Men was kind of uh, lauded for its historical accuracy. And I think like showing that that kind of backlash, like that is a real thing that happened. Like people really didn't like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, there is there is something fascinating too uh, about how yeah yeah I keep going back and forth about about this idea again that Jose brought up is like I I think I was so set to see Denzel's version of Malcolm X and that wasn't that wasn't really fair <laughs> like there can obviously be different personas and different versions of of this man and and there is something something weird about me you know wanting him to be you know what i see as more complicated but is you know more actively challenging as a person to watch uh, oddly like it's um I don't know. I'm like begrudgingly starting to think that I misread this <laughs> performance I, in some sense. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do want to ask you, though, Jose, um, I'm curious as someone who does primarily watch theater and, you know, obviously does keep up with film to a certain extent. Are there certain expectations or, you know, even like a, <laughs> an almost checklist of things that you want when you hear that, uh, you know, something originally made for the stage is going to be adapted to film? There's like two things, I think, basically. And the first one is that we don't want it to feel like stage. But uh, Regina King has the misfortune that her movie uh, is coming out when we're all stuck home. So for me, actually being trapped in the room with this four men gave me what theater gives me on a nightly basis. And I mean, I'm talking that I saw, you know, last year I saw about 300 shows, for instance. Wow. Not last year, I mean, 2019. Sure. Um, so right now, that's what I was saying. You know, like I was actually like bummed every time they left the, the room 
because uh, I wanted them to be back in there. But then I'm like, why do I want them to be in a room when I've been in my apartment <laughs> since March? This makes no sense. And and the other aspect of that, I guess, is that the second, and this is what one of the things that I battle with a lot as someone who mostly goes to the theater now, but I mean, like, I try to watch a couple of movies a week, at least, uh, is the fact that the second that something is, uh, you know, moves from medium to medium, it should be cinematic by default, like instantly, you know, like now it's a movie, it's cinematic. Yeah. But right now, because theater itself is being recorded or broadcast live, those lines and those rules are so non-existent. So right now it's like a, you know, fuck it. Like, who knows what the hell anyone's doing anymore? <laughs> Which is why, like, yeah, I mean, like, even, like, my list of, like, my favorite movies had some plays that were broadcast. And, like, my list of favorite shows had some movies that were based on screen adaptations, you know, like, stage adaptations, for instance. So right now, I don't think my checklist has any value because who knows what the hell's going on right now <laughs> well it's funny um, so did anyone did, did you watch like hamilton or anything like on disney plus i actually saw the original cast on broadway and i also saw it on disney plus so like t- that's i have seen neither so first of all very jealous um so like did, i don't know how how is that like what what is that like well, it's that thing where it's like, it's. I mean, it's the same as if someone, you know, like, I, I think like we overcomplicate ourselves a little bit too much with all of this. It's basically yeah. the same thing as if you go to a movie, right? If you go to a movie, you know that someone's going to be burping popcorn behind you and like Dr. Pepper or whatever. Someone's going to be coughing. Someone's going to be like texting. The same thing happens at the theater. So it's more a bit of like missing the the experience of being in community, not missing necessarily the experience of uh, absorbing or enjoying or even just like witnessing the story that the artists are telling us. It's more about how we do it. And at home, clearly, I mean, unless you have like annoying like spouses, roommates, boyfriends, girlfriends, I don't know your lives. Um, <laughs> if you're not alone, basically, and you're able to mimic that experience at home, for me, it's the same. Uh, you know, like if I want to watch a movie, I throw my phone in my room and I like lock my room and I like throw the key out and don't let myself in my room. And I turn the lights down and all of that because I want to like kind of have that. So for me, sure. this movie actually surprised me because I was on my phone. The first I watched it two times. I watched it the first time. And Michael, you'll be proud to know that I did my homework and I rewatched it for this. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> and 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 the first time I watched it, I was on my phone. I was like, gonna be like, I'm gonna be like t- taking pictures of like the shirtless man and posting them on Twitter. And suddenly, <laughs> I had to put my phone down because the movie like really absorbed me. I forgot that I was home, and I forgot that I was on my own with my plants, and I forgot that I was allowed to have my phone out. So I really appreciated that about being so absorbed by also these people are discussing ideas like we don't really get that in movies anymore unless it's like Woody Allen and I know those movies are like banned um but or no French one you know, like, it's all over yeah. French <laughs> yeah but grown-up characters especially not sure. black men are not going to be talking about ideas on film so for me even the fact that the four of us are having a conversation about the movie means that the movie works for me I mean unless it's like I don't think like you have like a contract with Amazon or anything like that or Regina King <laughs> for me that I would love no to have a contract with Regina King. <laughs> oh my gosh, right. Um, for me, that's kind of what works about the movie. We're talking about the ideas in the movie. Cause like Regina King and the movie know that they have no answers for us. 
But if you think about the idea that, you know, like right now we're home and someone maybe in our building or in a neighborhood is watching the movie and maybe having a conversation about the movie once the movie ends, I think that means that Regina King did her job. Hmm. I, I, I'm curious, are, are you able to remember, um, I, I'm asking you something annoying here, but can you get a sense of what scene was it where you really feel like you got drawn in or absorbed? Uh, when the four of them were together in the room. Okay. Yeah, every time they left the room, I was like, okay, back on my phone. <laughs> back to, my, to the room. I was like, okay, again, we're together. We're, you know, like, we're being for yours. We are being the FBI right now. We are being people who aren't invited to this very intimate experience. So I actually, again, going back to, uh, sorry, to Malcolm, I appreciate him uh, bringing his barrier down and his, you know, like not having the currents up because like we get to see him for the uh, naysayer and like the annoying Miranda he was. <laughs> I love that so much about this movie. I, I love that we are comparing Malcolm X to Miranda. We might be the only podcast. Look, there's there's four that. people. They must be sex in the city. Characters. <laughs> Just as right now, there are four of us. We must be sex in the city characters. I am Charlotte. Okay, it could also be Golden Girls. So Jose just aging, so I don't want to do Golden Girls. I'm sorry. (laughs) So I think I think I heard Jose call Carrie right. So that means we've got the other two. (laughs) I I obviously have an angelic voice, so (laughs) I I still have never gotten over that we got a bad review from someone saying I giggle too much. I can't handle that someone felt the which is weird because people also complain that you're the most vociferously negative one so why the fuck are you giggling so much (laughs) i'm giggling while i'm saying something negative it turns into a cat very yeah he's he's giggling while he cries (laughs) this movie is terrible malcolm and sam i guess (laughs) exactly (laughs) oh no um so wait, does yeah, that mean no. does that mean Bill's Miranda? <laughs> I don't know who who any of these people are, so Well, that's okay then. That means that you're fine with being Miranda. <laughs> I, I will say having I, I've seen a decent I, I, yeah, I, I've probably seen like ten to fifteen episodes of Sex in the City now. But I will say in high school, one of my good friends, I think it was his around his birthday, and he's like, I want to see Sex in the City too. I was like, Well, I haven't even seen Sex in the City one, but yes, let's go see Sex in the City too. Which was you know which was fine, but I have to say, without any context of who the Sex in the City characters are, it was weird to watch Sex in the City too. <laughs> I can only imagine, yeah. <laughs> but since then, I've seen the first and the second movie again. So uh, I'm making choices. Welcome <laughs> but, uh, to my weekly life. <laughs> okay, but that is that is all to say, I think... Uh, I, I don't know if I totally see it in that way, because I don't think I have enough uh, consistent experience with the theater to say that it's something that I regularly want to be immersed in. But I do think there's a certain, you know, <laughs> this could sound incredibly obvious, but there's a, you know, there's a certain magical quality in the fact that 
you can move your eyes. <laughs> you can look away and, uh, you know, look back and you're reminded that it's, you know, it's it's right in front of you and it's it's vivid and present and everything. And I think I, I think you are right that the the very fact that we're willing to, like, actually weigh any of the specific ideals and talk about the specific experiences that these men have and how they shape the way they look at the world. Like that's already doing uh, so much, so much better like uh, than so many other movies that try to be political, you know, by forcing, you know, this incident that you're either, you either believe in and are on the right side or, you know, you're evil. If you don't believe it, like everything's so black and white that as much as this film ultimately prioritizes Malcolm's uh, perspective, I, there is the more we talk about this, I am realizing that there are so many tinges of the bittersweet here. And it, it's, it, it's very sad in, in the case of, like uh, Brian, I I had totally forgotten that Sam Cooke uh, uh, died so young. Like I, I had completely forgotten that like multiple of these men are you know at once at their peak and you know going to be gone way too soon. Like it it, it it's weird to go from the idea that this movie's so much about the expectations of history. But also, it's about the failed promise of history, in a way. Yeah. And if anyone's not aware of the circumstances surrounding the death of Sam Cooke. Oh, please. Oh, I'm not going to describe it. It's, it's, uh, it's bananas. It's, it's crazy. It's still... The shooting? Of, it was a shooting at, a, at, I believe, a motel or a hotel. And there's a lot of confusion as to what the hell happened it was a, it was marked as a justified shooting but there was like a question of like whether he was on drugs like what why he was like pounding and on this door and asking where this woman was um it's one of the it's one of the great kind of solved but unsolved murders of someone you know especially like a famous person at a young age mm. yeah it's uh it's it's kind of nuts it's kind of crazy and if they if if you like think about it, like it's also like so heartbreaking. Both Sam and Malcolm, again within a year of this night, this Una Noche in Miami, uh, they were both going to be killed in rooms. Like he was killed, you know, Sam was killed in a motel room, and Malcolm was killed in a ballroom. So again, like right. you know, it's 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 again bringing me back to Malcolm, and you know, like. In this movie, he's basically being I'm being a drama queen right now, and he's also being a drama queen. But he's being shot, basically. He's being killed by his friends because they don't want to listen to the way that he thinks things should be done. And it's again, that's why, you know, I'm stealing this from one of my friends who pointed this out to me that I hadn't I hadn't really noticed. And it's how generous Regina King is uh, giving this actress when they're in the room. Uh, medium shots and we always Mm. see them we see their bodies like we see them moving we see their hands the title card even it's a whole body and then when the movie ends in that beautiful coda it's basically their heads and a screen so it's kind of throwing it back to us like we saw this men were more than just like ideas and they're more than just like the the close-up and they're more than 
what we think they are. Uh, there were people who once were breathing and hanging out and wanting to go out for pussy and drinks. Uh, <laughs> and we forget that, I think, too often. So I think that the movie beautifully is able to cope with both at the same time, knowing that one isn't necessarily more important than the other, especially for people who knew them. Yeah, I can't think of, uh, wow, that's a great point from your friend. I, I can't think of many, you know, extreme close-ups or, or things that you would expect given how heated the conversations go. You know, even even as we were talking about with well, when Sam and Malcolm start going at each other, you know, it's not only, it's not only their faces, obviously, it, you know, it is, you are always seeing the reactions of the, of the other men in, in those encounters, which is, which is interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about that rooftop scene, I think particularly does a, does a very good job with blocking as, as I think about it. Yeah. I think that Regina King brings a lot to this film and a lot of that is her generosity to her actors i mean i mean it's it's not it's not a it's not an a hyperbole to say that she's like one of the best presently working actresses in in all of hollywood um i mean i i will watch things just because i know that she is a part of them i and, yeah i'm with you yeah so i think that i think that one of the things that and it's kind of like whenever an actor becomes a director, you kind of have this wonder, like, oh, like what like, do they know what they're doing? Like, clearly they've worked with a lot of good people. Like, have they really been like building up to this? And I think that, you know, this movie kind of proves that at least at at a base level, like if she can get performances like this out of every person she ever works with, like, yes, please, dear God, keep making fiction feature films, as Michael Snydell put it. Um, because that alone is, is worth it. Like in terms of, you know, setup and then actual direction to the actors, like that kind of, that kind of generosity and, and the ability of like to get that out of them and, and know how to best put it forward to an audience is, uh, invaluable. Yeah. There really is something about the, the adaptation of, of stage plays, especially if you, especially the ones that I mentioned last year is like, it's really a monument to acting in a way that, that not that your average film ignores or anything, but you know, there's so much emphasis on, you know, whether it's, it's, well, it's often monologues like that. There's just so much emphasis on the actor, uh, they're just giving, given the, uh, they're given all the attention. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a make or break moment every time the camera goes to them again. <laughs> so, are there any other thoughts, any other uh, opinions on this movie that we need to uh, put out there before we wrap up for today? I just want to add something super nerdy, and it's that uh, one of you had added that the playwright and screenwriter of the film also wrote Soul. And if you think about it, Soul is basically telling the same story. Like, it goes from a big world inwards and then spending most of the time with, like, characters trapped in some sort of limbo. And I basically think they're, like, companion pieces. I know I don't know why I'm laughing when I'm saying this. Um but for me, they're companion pieces. Like it's you know taking the the 
the it's they're very representative like quarantine and life in lockdown where like we can no longer be outside mm -hmm. living our problems and sharing the problems that the world has so we are meant to share them with whoever we are trapped with at the moment and if the mm -hmm. you know whoever you're trapped with happens to help you out with a diamond heist so be it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i watched that also oh did is it is it worth it well, I didn't know that it was like trashed and I was so excited because I love Anne. And then <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, oh, it's perfect actually that you're bringing this up because I'm going to say lockdown is what I thought theater in quarantine would be like. And fortunately, <laughs> most of it has been like one night in uh, Miami. Oh, that's that good. sounds like not a recommendation. <laughs> it is not. Yeah. Unless yeah. you really love either like Chibatel or like Anne. I mean, I, I that's the issue is that I love both of them and I'm just like, I know that it's, I know that it's supposed to be good, but it's, I think that it might suck, but I might watch it anyway because I love those actors. Oh, it sucks. But if you want to watch them, just hang out. Because like, I, uh, are you big fans? I mean, I know that I am of that. Um, Joss Whedon, what was it? Uh, was it Much Ado that he did? Like while well, he was yes. taking a break, from not like that. Yeah. Oh, I never saw that adaptation. Yeah, I never saw it. Either. I saw it. I did not like it. You didn't like it? Okay, but I'm like. But I'm, I also, I'm also like, not a like big. Fun. I'm not a big fan of of adaptations of of Shakespeare that are thrown into the modern context that also still try and hold on to some of that uh, in a in a like I don't know in a weird way the, the film definitely does a good job of like trying to modernize it and trying to kind of I guess hip it up but I it's don't not know. like I, a Verona or anything I, I just found it exhausting to watch it's also in black and white I think, except for like little pops of color here and there, and I was just like, "God help me!" So yeah, I've I also watched that a long time ago. <laughs> no, I mean it's fair. Like maybe I'm romanticizing it too much, but I I remember like feeling like okay, like a bunch of rich people can have fun and actually do something that I'm having fun watching, and that's not what lockdown felt like. Interesting. That sounds <laughs> oh, a little bit like the Gal Gadot Imagine video. Oh no. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Remember that. Remember oh, that, guys. Oh, no. Remember when that was a thing? I, and I actually like when the, that was like terrible. But like, I was actually wondering when like when the whole Wonder Woman thing happened and like people were hating it. I was like, why is no one saying the fact that this movie never really stood a chance that the year that Imagine was released? Because like, <laughs> we'd all forgotten that that was that year. Oh no! It's well, it's it's that the, thing where like. Out. It's that thing where, like, you just, like, wake up. Well, you know, we can't do it anymore because it's now 2021. But you would, like, wake up and you'd just tweet out, Hey, guys, remember when Birds of Prey came out this year? And just, like, 400 people would smash retweet and be like, What? No. <laughs> I, like, sent Twitter into a small existential crisis when I was like, Shout out to the Rhythm section, which came out in January. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. I that it was a pretty good <sighs> movie i liked it yeah, I'm this yeah. gentlemen well time. i'm happy if anything jennifer lopez is still doing her oscar uh campaigning by appearing at the uh new year's thing and also like she's gonna be uh if there is such a thing as a 
inauguration ceremony, J-Lo's going to be there. And I'm like, J-Lo, you already lost the Oscar. Like, you were nominated. Like, stop campaigning, but please keep campaigning forever. <laughs> Is she, wait, are you saying she's still campaigning for Hustlers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she was like, I don't think she knows 2020 is over. And she's like, maybe there's like an award out there that I haven't been nominated for that I can still like get something for because she should have. Oh. And maybe she's waiting for it. Wait, does JLo have uh, the E, G, and the T? She just needs the O? What's that? The, uh, the she Emmy, has an Grammy. Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony. Wait, does she and have she an just Emmy? needs an Oscar? I don't know. JLo? I wish Shayla had all of those things. She has nothing. I don't think she even has like a Grammy <laughs> she nomination. She has nothing. What? She's been nominated for. Okay, wait. I'm on her IMDb page. She's been nominated, she nominated for two for Golden an, Globes. Period award. Yeah. She received a for primetime two? Emmy Award nomination in 2020 as headlining performer. Wait, that's not outstanding right. variety for special Super Bowl? Super Bowl halftime show starring Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez and Shakira. She she uh, was nominated for an AARP Movies for Grown Ups Award. The best supporting actress. <laughs> oh no! It's just the funniest goddamn like the ARP movies for grownups thing is just the funniest goddamn thing on earth. Anytime wait, you say it out loud, wait. How has J Lo not won a Grammy? This is fucking Have bananas. You to Jennifer Lopez. I mean, I love her. <laughs> I might or might not be wearing a J Lo shirt right now, but have you listened to Jennifer Lopez? <laughs> I mean, singles. I, I literally can't a remember a album. single song of hers. And that is not an insult. That is probably more just about how my brain works. I think of her more as a movie star now. I remember I, the, I remember the dress. I feel like she had a music video with a lot of green laser lights. Maybe <laughs> it took waiting place. waiting for tonight. So well yeah, done. I was about to say, maybe it takes place in a jungle. I can't remember. Oh, waiting for tonight. I know that one. Yeah, when you, you will be got, here in my arms. Yeah, I got you. You got to know Jenny from the block. You got to uh, know. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Uh, Let's get loud was also huge. Okay, that um, one I don't know. I do know Jenny and from on the, the block. Floor and all the pitbull. Like I'm just basically wondering why is she? I mean, I love her, uh, but why is she? And why will she be performing at the inauguration ceremony? Like, Usher <laughs> better be there, and. Wait, is, I hope she at like, the, is she at the inauguration ceremony? Yeah, Lady Gaga's doing like the national anthem, and Jennifer Lopez, Jenny from the Block, is doing a performance. And I'm like, this well, better be incredible, J Lo. 2007, like, to, like, all over again, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I hope she does dinero, and then she's like, we deserve two thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't be fooled by the rock that I got. I need those two thousand bucks also. <laughs> All right, that is a perfect line to go out on. So that is it for today. Uh, One Night in Miami, with or without an ellipses, is presently streaming for free for Amazon Prime subscribers. So check it out. Um, We all seem to think that it is worthy of a look. And uh, let us know your opinions by finding us on Twitter at Filmstage or emailing us podcastfilmstage.com. And uh, don't forget to go to Mubi, M-U-B-I.com slash Filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi. Again, that is M-U-B-I.com slash Filmstage. Um, and Patreon.com slash Filmstage show to give us your money. That's all for today. Michael Snydell, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about... Well, we said we'd never talk about 2020 again, but that was a lie. Because <laughs> we're talking about the best of 2020 according to us next week. Hells yeah. Hey. I, um, so I, I only have 15 I, movies to crunch. Before yeah, I need week. to crunch some movies. 
I um, you know, I feel like uh, I really gotta watch. I don't know. I was gonna make a joke, but now I literally can't think of a single movie. <laughs> well, but, oh, I gotta watch Bad Boys for Life. Um, <laughs> Some people like that one. Extraction was it? Was Extraction this year? <laughs> don't don't watch The Lodge. That that's that's my most hated movie of the year. <laughs> what is The Lodge? Oh, is that the one with like the 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 blended family? It is not the one with the blend the blended family. Yeah. The the Adam Sandler Drew Barrymore movie. What are you? Not blended. Just the like she's a stepmom or something. Yes, that's yeah. it. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess it's not yeah. a blended family if there's only one person. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> part of it. Anyway, R- Riley Keough. Yeah. Oh, she's a, a soon to be stepmom, so she's yeah. not even the stepmom yet. Stay, stay far, far away. Oh, the more you Ooh. say that, the more I want to watch it. <laughs> oh, nope. It's an hour and 48 minutes. That's too long for, uh, I just need to know what made Michael Snyder angry movie. Okay. So next week we'll be doing our top tens. <laughs> Cannot wait for that. That's going to be uh, a real punchy episode. Yep. <laughs> Can already feel it happening. Um, so that's, that's cool. Uh, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Jose, would you like to tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. I'm at uh, Twitter and Instagram at Jose Solis Mayen. And I wanted to say thank you guys for having me on the podcast where the heat is on all night on the beach till break of dawn. <laughs> Welcome to the film stage. Bienvenido on the film stage. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on, Jose. You're welcome anytime. Yeah. Um, we'll have to pick another movie that can be tangentially tied to a uh, Will Smith song. <laughs> so, Switch, I, uh, how, how are we going to bring Switch into this? I was going to say we just need to wait until the next Men in Black movie. <laughs> Oh my! Or the next Wild Wild West movie. <laughs> you know what? What's sooner? I don't know. That last one, that last Men in Black bombed real they bad. They will never attempt another Wild West movie. That's it's just <laughs> never going to happen. Going to make it happen. <laughs> Michael Snydell has now set a life goal to become a famous Hollywood producer. Just to, I'm going to remake Wild Wild West, and I'm going to get it right this time. God damn it! Now get me Kenneth Branagh on the phone. <laughs> Oh, bother. All right. Uh, Bill Graham, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on the Instagrams at Billstagram and also mixing it up on the Slack channel. I'm actually caught up. I am I am so proud of myself. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, Michael Snydell. Um, You can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. And uh, I'll have a review of this movie that I looked up. Uh, Our Our Friend, uh, which is stars uh, Jason Segel, Dakota Johnson, and Casey Affleck. Uh, it's a comedy, uh, I think. I know a lot about this movie. It, it comes out on Friday. I'll have a review for it uh, on The Spool this week. So look for that. All right. As for me... Um, I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, everything, at Brian J. Rowan, uh, my personal site, BrianJRowan.com, uh, my distillery, SchmidtSpirits.com, and of course you can find my writing and every episode of this here podcast at TheFilmStage.com. So uh, if you want to know what we thought the 10 best films of the last year were, 
Come on back next week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, until then, thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Up there.